0: This is Molly Hemingway, encouraging you to listen to my favorite podcast, Issues, etc. Every day you get in-depth interviews with host Todd Wilkin asking expert guests substantive, thought-provoking questions on all of the important news and issues of our day. The expert guests are in culture, law, ethics, philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Expert guests, expansive topics, always extolling Christ issues, etc.
1: Yeah, the new gender order speaks to a kind of queered manhood and queered womanhood. And really, it all kind of blends down into one androgynous gender smoothie.
0: The majority of women who are post-abortive say that they would have kept their child had they had the emotional and financial resources to do so. So we need to speak to her and we need to support her.
1: It's really become a cacophony of bizarreness within evangelicalism in the NAR as they try to out-Jewish each other in kind of resurrecting and trying to smuggle into Christianity practices that are Jewish. See, the Creator
2: has established an order, and it's our job to honor it. So the pastor stands in the stead of the head. The head is male. This is not because we're anti-woman. It's because we're pro-Christ.
0: Farmers in South Dakota listen to Issues, etc. while combining our corn and feeding the world.
3: The numbers don't lie. By almost any metric you choose, men in our society today are not doing well. Emotionally, psychologically, they simply are not doing well. They're being told constantly by the culture that they are no longer helpful, that they're no longer needed, maybe that they're even toxic, that their presence is not only unnecessary, but unwanted. So what are the major anti-male voices today? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 3rd of October. Joining us to talk about the need for masculine men, Dr. Owen Strand. He's provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, senior fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council and author of several books, including his latest, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. Dr. Strand, welcome back.
1: Thank you. So good to be back with you.
3: You say that there are no strong men in natural terms. What do you mean by that?
1: I mean that in God-centered perspective, none of us can say that just as God is strong, we are strong. When it comes to the God-man partnership, so to speak, that God makes with man through a series of covenants in the scripture, God is the strong partner, and we are always the weak partner, as Paul spells out in First and Second Corinthians. But that doesn't mean that men aren't called to strength, because they clearly are in the Bible.
3: You write about an ongoing revolution that requires men, and especially Christian men, to be re-educated, and you call it the new pagan
1: ideology. What do you mean by that? I mean that in terms of our Western elitist culture, the idea of strong manhood is now considered toxic. And so for men to even want to be strong is now seen as not just a negative reality, but almost the negative reality of our entire society. We're told that we need to smash the patriarchy today. We're told that the future is female. And again, we're told that masculinity is toxic. And what that all ends up meaning is that men who are assertive, who are aggressive, who take risks, who are stoic in terms of their emotional life, who try to build things from a kind of dominion-taking mindset, all of these kind of men are now outmoded and they need to be feminized. They need to embrace a social perspective and discard their anti-social mentality. And so strong manhood today is seen as the problem where i read strong manhood in biblical terms as the solution by the grace of god
3: what is the new gender order
1: yeah the new gender order speaks to a kind of queered manhood and queered womanhood and really it all kind of blends down into one androgynous gender smoothie. That's really where we are today. And that's what our culture wants us to drink in a slightly strange image here. Our culture wants us not to think that there is such a thing as defined manhood And defined womanhood, not that boys should be raised to be men and raised to be strong men for the good of women and children and that women should understand themselves as nurturers and made a certain way and a feminine disposition for the good of their families and even their very selves. No, instead, there are no roles for the sexes. There is no hard and fast understanding of manhood and womanhood at all. Those kind of ideas harken uh, to halicon days, evil days, actually, when people used to believe in these rigid stereotypes. Now, boys look like girls, girls look like boys, boys play girls sports, girls enter guys spaces, and there really is just this again blurring into one and that really fits with a pagan vision of the world as the theologian peter jones observed about 30 years ago really he saw it very early he was drafting off of francis schaeffer there's really this push in our society not to understand the world in terms of the creator creature distinction the creator making all creatures but in terms of a kind of pagan oneness where everything is really the same and so the push in our society very much fits a pagan worldview i believe
3: You write about some public figures that have, and many of them are not Christian or overtly Christian, that have become our culture's surrogate fathers. Who are they, and why are young men and Christians flocking to them?
1: Yeah, that's a great phrase, surrogate fathers. You're exactly right. A figure like a Jordan Peterson stands up in public, speaks in a masculine voice, very dapper style looks the camera right in the eye, is on uh, that famous Channel 5 interview, I think it was, over in the UK. There's a feminist journalist who is trying to trap him at every turn, literally about 30 times she tries to trap him into basically admitting that men are better than women or some stupid belief like that, that we should not hold. And Peterson just dodges it every time and puts on a masterclass really in controlled, disciplined, even gracious manhood in the face of real attack And when people saw that kind of interview, something exploded. People realized that they were seeing something they had not seen in a very long time, like a dinosaur mysteriously appearing from the forest. And that's the father figure. That's what's been lost in the West. There really aren't strong fathers in many places in our society. Literally, fatherlessness is an epidemic and it's an epidemic that cuts across social class and economic background. Men today leave. Men are told that they are outmoded today boys and young men are told they don't fit in this society and Many of them are taking their cues and they are disappearing vanishing and ghosting their communities and families and churches and yet out of the mist Here is this strong man in public daring to say before that channel five interview that transgender pronouns should not be forced upon people in Canada speaking up when basically nobody will speak up including many Christians and that had a palpable and really world-changing effect in terms of our modern western culture peterson did and so yeah i honor peterson i don't know him to be a born again christian as as i am and seek for others to be but i do know that he is a courageous man I do know that he has some purchase on the truth from whatever his precise worldview is. And in a common grace sense, I'm thankful for what he has said in public.
3: You have been criticized publicly by people who have said, well, you're kind of half right, but you haven't gone far enough. What we need is kind of a hyper-masculinity, even an Ebermensch kind of approach to masculinity. How do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, we've really seen a stark overcorrection today in the area of manhood and also in the area of public theology, what you could call Christian political philosophy, where the real weakness of men, and that is a real intentional project on the part of many sectors of our culture the entertainment complex, colleges and universities, even our government in different dimensions, all of that has conspired in real time and in real terms to weaken men tremendously. Men in the aggregate by every statistical measure are doing terribly today. And what has happened as a counter movement is that there has been this push in the fever dens of the internet to recover a certain understanding of strong manhood. And you can completely understand if you put on your compassion hat for a minute, why boys and young men would be drawn to these exaggerated forms of manhood, as I call them in this book, The War on Men that we're discussing. Exaggerated manhood is a perennial temptation for young men because boys and young men are wired to want to be strong. They aren't born wanting to be weak. They are born wired to want to be strong. And if you don't give them good visions of strong manhood, as we have over and over again in scripture by the grace of God, they will buy into bad forms of strong manhood. And that's what you see on Instagram with these influencers who have Bugattis and former kickboxer like Andrew Tate who looks like a coiled snake about to strike and looks into the camera and doesn't blink and says truth, as he understands it, that is, on a range of issues and says some very terrible things and stands for some very terrible things. But you have to understand that is going to be tremendously appealing to young men in a very soft, weak, passive context. When strong men arise, including strong men who do not hold good views, that is nonetheless going to be very appealing to lots of boys and young men. So here's the deal. We have to give them a better alternative. We have to give them the true man, Jesus Christ, who definitely is that embodiment of strength that they are looking for, but also is a controlled, disciplined, loving, gentle, kind man. So biblical manhood powered by the gospel of grace is full-orbed, multi-dimensional manhood, unlike the cartoonish versions you're seeing out there in our culture.
3: You mentioned that by every measure, men are doing poorly. Give us some examples of that. What are those measures?
1: Post-lockdown era, for every one woman, young woman who drops out of college, seven young men drop out of college. In terms of working, the rates of men in the workforce in prime working years is at the level it was in the Great Depression, literally the worst economic time in America's history. You look at pornography statistics today and we can't even exactly tell how many men are ensnared in pornography in a sinful way. And yet it's anywhere from half of all men to all men who are embracing and using pornography on a semi-regular basis. Men are not going to church. For every six women who go to church, four men go to church. When a woman brings her kids to church... 17% of the time those kids on average will grow up and stay in the church when a man starts going to church and brings his kids to church 93% of the time the kids will stick with the church so there are metrics that at one and the same time very much discourage us but then there's also an enduring witness of the role of men to lead and have authority and have responsibility and wherever men will punch back against the darkness. And wherever men are not merely chastised and called out, but where men are encouraged and helped and bolstered, where somebody puts an arm around a boy or a young man or a man and says, you know what? You may be in some trouble. You may have foundered. Your life may not be where you hoped it would be as the years go on, but God's grace is real. Jesus Christ saves sinners and you can change, you can grow, you can be transformed, your marriage can be strengthened, you can reconnect with your children, you can build a vocation, even if your job is very unfulfilling right now. In all these ways, that's what I'm trying to communicate to these men who are very much struggling today in this book, The War on Men.
3: What are the major anti-male voices today?
1: Oh my, how much time do we have? I mean, there's all sorts of them. There's an entire movement that I call wokeness, We've talked about the woke movement before in days past, a couple of years ago. The woke movement is a movement that reads masculine authority in fundamental terms as the producer of tremendous and largely unresolved injustice in Western society. So with a Marxist grid, basically anybody who has something someone else does not have is read in Marx's dystopian vision as an oppressor of the one who does not have. And so that was initially an economic critique, although Marx actually had flaming words against the natural family, the God-made family. He despised creation order, as we call it. He despised the God-made family from the outset. He says that in his Communist Manifesto. And that Marxist vision migrates into the 20th century, into European culture through the what are called the cultural Marxists, and and today it has been brought into the mainstream in America by what we call race Marxists. And suffice it to say that the woke project reads strong manhood, men asserting themselves, men stepping up, men taking responsibility, just as feminists of various waves read men in the same delusional way as being fundamentally flawed for wanting responsibility and taking responsibility and having leadership that is an inequity and that is an injustice so there's a synchronicity of how woke thinkers read the world and how feminist thinkers read the world and the core idea is that it is evil for men to have headship in the home and of their wife in the family and of their children by extension, and it is evil and wrong and oppressive for men to be the elders and shepherds and teachers of the local church. And it is furthermore wrong for men to have leadership and responsibility in the public square. And that is all because of, as I say, a Marxist read of authority and leadership. And that has had tremendously bad effects in the last 20 to 30 years of American public life.
3: Dr. Owen Strand is our guest. We're talking about the need for masculine men. When we come back, what does the Bible teach about man's distinctiveness?
0: We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start. The foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. Cph.org.
2: Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization, one student at a time. Contending for truth in an age of anti-truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
0: Pumpkin spice-flavoured everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Cruesome's mugs, featuring your favourite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses or Christian humour. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practised here. Visit AdCruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
2: Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org
3: dr owen strand is our guest he's author of the book the war on men why society hates them and why we need them i'm todd wilkin this is issues etc dr strand what does the bible teach us about a man's distinctiveness
1: the man is made by God, and he is intentionally designed by God for the roles that God has given men to play. In Genesis two fifteen, the Lord gives Adam a key part of his charter as a man. He tells him that his calling is to work and keep or protect the garden. So right off the bat, we learn that men are called to be workers by God, and men are called to be protectors. And then later on in Genesis two, in Genesis two twenty four, we learn that the man is to leave his family and take a wife and effectively form a family the man just a few verses prior is the one who has named eve adam has named eve all of this is actual historical material albeit put into poetic form by moses and so all of this means that we already in in the first and second pages of our bibles have a serious understanding of who men are called to be of the roles that boys are to be shaped into being We're trying to train our boys and young men not into the ether, not into nothingness, not into passivity and vagueness. And that is where so many boys reside. So many boys, if you open your eyes around you, are being trained into nothing other than excelling at the video game that they are fixated on in their hands or on the screen before them. There is no purpose for them. There is no script. There is no definition of manhood. There is no sense of what they are headed for. There is no telos in their existence. They are adrift in a sea of nothingness. And that is part of why suicide rates are so spectacularly and tragically high Today, among numerous groups, including men, including prominently white men who are basically the most demonized group out there socially. This isn't my purpose to line out the races from a wrong understanding, but we need to just point out that many men in many different metrics are struggling tremendously today. And all of this means we have to go back to the biblical script. And again, we have to raise boys into something. They need to understand that there is a script for their life. We don't know if they're going to be married or single, but we should train our boys to be workers. My dad, growing up in Maine when I was 12, said, all right, it's time for you to work. So I started mowing lawns and I became a bus boy at the local surf and turf restaurant in due course. And I raked blueberries and blueberry fields and it was hard work and it was not very much fun. And I'm sure I grumbled far more than I should have. And yet, even though I don't do that kind of work today i look back and i am beyond grateful to my father for training me to work boys that's just one of the dimensions i've spelled out here and we're getting a little long in this answer but let me just say that if boys are listless and aimless and not working that's not like a minor problem that's not like 129th of their identity boys are made to be workers but our society honestly todd is just failing boys in this respect
3: what models of manhood do we find in the Old Testament?
1: Well, we have a bunch of deficient models. You have Samson as an exaggerated man who lives by his sight and his desires and just goes and gets whatever he wants with no thought to God's calling on his life. God's a tremendous blessing of him. You've got the angry man in uh, genesis 4 i believe there's these four deficient types of manhood found in the old testament the first is the exaggerated man samson the second is the angry man cain who literally kills his brother because his brother offers a better sacrifice than he does and that speaks to the common sinful pattern of men that men have undisciplined tempers and that wreaks havoc on their surroundings it's not that men are worse sinners than women because they are not but it is that the outsized aggression with men having on average two to three thousand percent more testosterone than women and 50 to 60 percent more upper body strength than women means that the sins of men really can do serious damage so we have to very much die to our anger to our temper as men and embrace the peace and the shalom that is found in the gospel of jesus christ the blood of jesus christ and then there's the soft man you find that in gideon in the book of judges where He is timid and passive and desperately afraid of taking any step of faith, seemingly, and yet God is patient with him, even as God is patient with Samson, and God uses Gideon for his purposes in a tremendous fashion. And you also have the lost man, fourthly. You have Adam disappearing, almost melting away into nothingness in Genesis 3 as the serpent comes and attacks Adam's wife Eve and gets her to be deceived. Adam basically does nothing. He doesn't step up and keep the words of Genesis 2.15. He doesn't protect the garden. He disappears. And so we have a lot of lost men, I believe. But the fifth category is the encouraging one and the one I spend the lion's share of the time on in this book, The War on Men. And that's the strong man. It's not a man who is strong in himself. It's not a man who stoically pulls himself up by his bootstraps, but it is a man like a David who is actually not a very impressive young man physically, at least in terms of how you would see him, but nonetheless is very courageous, very skilled as a warrior, though again, he may not look like that at first sight, and then is the only man who is willing to go out to battle against Goliath and strike down the Philistine champion who is probably almost double his size. So in David, we have a forerunner of Jesus Christ. We have a forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus is going to be called the root of David. Jesus is going to be called the son of David throughout the New Testament, particularly in the gospels. And so there's a linkage between David as the warrior king, the one who saves his people in that role, and Jesus as the greater warrior king who will die on the cross for the sins of his people and face down the greater Goliath on the field of greatest battle. How is Jesus the true man? Jesus is the one who, I would argue, fulfills God's design for men in those leader, protector, and provider roles. Jesus is the one who perfectly embodies humanity for all men and all women who will come to faith, and Jesus is the one who perfectly embodies manhood. So this doesn't mean that women can't really access Jesus as their Lord and Savior because they're not a man. That's not the case we're making. Everyone can know Jesus and be loved by Jesus as they turn from their sin and repent and trust Christ. And yet there is also this calling on the part of a husband, for example, in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, to, by the grace of God, image Jesus Christ in laying down our lives for our wife to wash her with the water of the word, Ephesians 5, 26, to love our wife. And that doesn't mean a kind of checking of the box, like, hey, man, do you love your wife today? Check box, check box, and then it's done. No, the calling of a man to love his wife is a comprehensive call. It's a continual upward climb for a man who must battle his own sin in this great pursuit just as it is the fundamental calling of a wife to submit to her husband and and love him in that way and submit to him Paul says in everything not in sin of course he doesn't mean but to submit to him and see his leadership in a wonderful way as a gift of God not a perfect stewardship on the part of a man or a woman in these respects but fundamentally the scripture does not pit women and men against one another And it certainly does not call women to see male headship as an evil reality. Contra, very much contra, Marx. It calls instead there to be in the home this man who is striving to be like Christ, striving to be tough against evil. John 2, Jesus in the temple making a whip of cords, scourging the temple, but also a man who is very tender, a man like Jesus, who in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, doesn't reject little children, doesn't brush them off, but calls them to himself, welcomes them, and says to his disciples that they need to become like little children in order to become his disciples. What a humbling word that is to the adults, even as they try to shoo the kids away. So, a lot on the table here, but a man is called to be like Jesus by the power of Jesus and is thus called to cultivate both Biblical toughness and biblical tenderness, not one or the other.
3: Dr. Owen Strand is our guest. We're talking about the need for masculine men. What does the New Testament show us man and his God-given vocations are? You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address.
0: The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life his design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministry sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email ministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org slash life.
1: The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November
2: 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is for such a time as this, discernment,
1: boldness, and compassion, Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago. Worldviewchicago.org. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy, or slavery, or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective
2: your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc.
1: If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free.
2: Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago.
1: Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life of well lived. Truth, freedom, vocation.
2: Concordia University Chicago. CUchicago.edu.
3: Folks, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. You'll find great ideas for your pastor at adcrusom.com. A D C R U C E M.com. We're talking about the need for masculine men. Dr. Owen Strand is our guest, provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, senior fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council, and author of several books, including his latest, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them, and Why We Need Them. Dr. Strand, what does the New Testament show us about man and his God-given vocations?
1: Well, it honors man in his callings. It helps us understand that it is very good for men to be men as God made them. God does not want men to try to be boys or to try to be women. God wants men to be men. And there's this repeated message in both the Old Testament and the New. There's a crimson thread between them in which men are called to be strong. You think of First Kings 2.2. 2. David on his deathbed says to his son Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man. And then he goes on to talk about where that strength is found. It's found in following God and obeying God by the grace of God. And so that call echoes through the ages and it reaches men even today when the nobility of men has been ripped away from them. When the very concept of manhood, strong manhood is laughed at and snarked against. In this day, there is a better call. And it is the biblical call and again it echoes it still speaks and david still calls men today to that standard we may not have foes to fight on behalf of the israelite army or something like this today but we too are called i believe to be strong in the grace of god and prove that we are a man and that's said in so many words in the new testament by paul in first corinthians sixteen thirteen, he tells the corinthian church to act like men, andresestha in the Greek. So he coins a word that means basically be manly. And he's saying that to the whole body. And that means that I think at base, men are called to be courageous and strong and step up and be self-sacrificing for the good of others in the image of Christ. These are calls that are altogether lost today. Strong men today are read as the problem. If you really want a summary of the the argument I'm making in this book, and I think the problems before us, it's this, strong men are seen today as the problem. When in fact, in biblical terms, and even in the witness just of common sense, strong men are the solution by the grace of God. When you have evil men in the world, you do not make the world safer. When you extract the testosterone from boys, when you so medicate boys, That they have no masculine instincts anymore when you feed them a dumbed down plastic artificial life on devices such that they take no risks and build no great works that is not making the world better that's how our culture communicates to us it's the dead level opposite there are evil men in the world and you need strong good men to face them down and fight them you need dangerous men understood in the right way not men who menace women and children But men who have God-given strength, men who cultivate their body, men who step up in appropriate form, and when there is a threat in the camp, meet it. But we have fewer and fewer of those kind of men today.
3: How does a man's physical distinctiveness prepare him for those very vocations you've discussed?
1: I've referenced it already, but I think the very wiring of a man speaks to his identity. Of course, scripture is our ultimate authority, and yet we need to also be very clear that God made manhood and God made womanhood, so he's good at what he does. He wired men to have 2,000 to 3,000 percent more testosterone than women on average. He wired men to have 50 to 60 percent more upper body strength than women on average. He wired men in the kind of Psychological mental dimension to be much more compartmentalization focused than women. Women are much more boundaryless in terms of their emotional life. That's part of what makes them such a good multitasking nurturer in typical terms. They can handle the madness of the boisterous family home in a way that can be much more difficult for men. And I'm not getting men off the hook here, but there's just a God-given capacity for women as nurturers. You see this witnessed even in Proverbs 31 to do all sorts of tasks flip between homeschooling and handling a crisis and then placing this order for the right pillows and then go buy the good meal and cook the meal and then disciple the kids by reading them a good story and etc. and so on. It's not that men don't multitask too, of course they do, but it is that men also are wired to compartmentalize and that fits perfectly with the task of provision. What does a man have to do to provide for his family? Well, he has to actually not be boundaryless in terms of his mental life, his social life. He has to close off some of that, and he has to really focus in order to do his job well. That can easily be a weakness for men, but it can also very much be a strength. When a man is at war, you don't want men who are sitting in the trench, stressing about how everyone around them is feeling. They have to be careful and wise, of course, but you want men who can focus on the task at hand, who can be away from their family, though it's very difficult, for nine months at a time and kill the bad guy. You need that. But our culture says the masculine tendency to compartmentalize is bad and men need to be more like women. Well, men do need to cultivate empathy and love and listening and these kind of skills, but that is not to say that the way God has designed men is itself broken or toxic. It simply is not. And we need to go a long ways down the road, Todd, in recovering the physiological goodness of masculine wiring from God.
3: In that vein, how does the New Testament speak about man's personal and social distinctiveness?
1: Well, the New Testament helps us understand that men need to develop in their capacity to understand their wife if they are called to marriage, as most men are. Every man, therefore, is enrolled on day one at the wedding ceremony itself in an advanced degree of study program called understanding women first peter 3 7 and that is not a discipline as i myself can attest that you grasp and master in a single week it takes a long time and uh, it calls men out of themselves out of selfishness out of a sinful form of compartmentalization where men just do what they want they do their provider work Monday to Friday, and then they just lose themselves in whatever hobbies or pursuits or golf or whatever it may be on Saturday and barely even check in because that's what they want to do. Well, there are things men can do that are masculine hobbies and pursuits and recreational activities, of course, but God's word, God's gospel calls men to cultivate understanding and tenderness and love of their wife. So that's one example how yes, men are wired a certain way and men aren't supposed to try to become a woman. Uh Uh-uh, no sir. And yet men are supposed to develop capacities in numerous dimensions. Men are supposed to be able to communicate truth. For example, you think about the calling of an elder and how they are supposed to be those who communicate truth. They're able to teach, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3. And though every man is not called to be an elder in the local church, I do think that that speaks to the need for boys and young men to develop abilities of communication. What are young men tempted to do? This is what our culture calls toxic in part. Young men and boys are tempted to stifle their words and not speak and not respond and not articulate what they're feeling. I'm not calling us all into a great big kumbaya circle here, but boys do have to be engaged by fathers and mothers alike and do have to be trained in communicating and do have to be trained even into articulating what they are thinking and feeling. That's so often why you get explosive anger from boys and young men. So many of the public shooters and school shooters are from broken homes where they didn't have a dad or they didn't have a present and engaged and loving and tender dad, and they weren't cultivated in these respects. And so they never learned to articulate what they're thinking and feeling, and they never had, and I'm I'm almost, (laughs) this is challenging me even to talk about because it's so tragic, but they never had somebody shepherd them. They never had somebody help them figure out how to handle the currents of emotion coursing through them and so what happens in these broken contexts well you don't do away with anger those boys who may not be talking are not not feeling they are feeling deeply and so part of what we have to do with our boys is we have to help them steward their emotions develop communicative abilities and work through what they are feeling learning self-control by the grace of God. This is no easy task, by the way. This is hard. This is why parenting isn't supposed to be done in a five-week course. It's supposed to be done in normal terms over a two-decade experience. We're talking about
3: the need for masculine men with Dr. Owen Strand. He's author of the book, The War on Men, why society hates them and why we need them. We'll talk about cultivating spiritual life and growth among men and boys next. Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's Net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today.
2: providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines you're listening to issues etc
0: the church's music from the 2nd century Shepherd
2: of tender
0: youth, guiding in love and truth. the 6th century today, the 12th century Century. The twenty first century. The best of the Church's music from the past two thousand years. Lutheran Public Radio.
3: Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the need for masculine men. Dr. Owen Strand is our guest. He is Senior Fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council and author of the new book, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. Dr. Strand, how do we cultivate spiritual life and growth among men and boys?
1: We help them understand that the church is not first and foremost for women. The church is for men and women alike, and we have to help them understand that Jesus is not somebody who just wants to give them a cup of hot cocoa and then give them a Snuggie to wear all the time. Jesus is a savior of wonderful love and tenderness and kindness, and yet Jesus is also a warrior king, and I think that dimension of Christology has largely been lost in the church, and so I talk about this in The War on Men, I also have a book to follow in January called The Warrior Savior. So these things blend for me in terms of multiple projects. But suffice it to say that in scripture, you have things said about Jesus like 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. It's not that that will only speak to men because that will very much speak to women as well, especially women who have perhaps even suffered at the hands of godless fathers or cruel men. What all of us need is the true Jesus, not the Jesus of American cultural imagining, but the true Jesus. And the true Jesus, as I'm at pains to say, is very tender. Yes, and a lot of churches in some form understand that. But the true Jesus is also the warrior we need. He is also the righteous king that we crave. He is the one, Hebrews two fourteen to 18, who faces down our greatest foe, death, as wielded by the devil. And through his blood defeats the power of sin and the specter of death. And I think if you just preach the biblical Jesus in all dimensions, not one alone for women and one for men, no, 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 preach the whole Christ as Sinclair Ferguson has rightly said to everybody. And what you will find as you preach the whole counsel of God is that that is going to wake men up, even as it is going to wake women up. We don't have to worry about making the Bible relevant. We don't have to fret about the next generation. What we need to do is simply let the word of God speak. And we need to preach all corners of scripture. And we need to give people these wild Old Testament stories and narratives that are pulsing with drama. And we need to give them the life of Jesus Christ. And we need to help them understand the mission of the church and acts. If we will let the Bible speak again and not try to sand it down, or confine it, or quiet it, then I think you will go a good long ways to reaching men.
3: You talk about ennobling men. What do you mean?
1: Well, I think that men have had their manly nobility ripped from them. And I don't think that they think of being a man as a God-honoring good. I think that many men have heard the cultural cues. They've heard that their strong manhood instincts are toxic. And though they may not like that teaching as they should not, they should altogether reject the claim that they are toxic. They should reject it six days a week and twice on Sunday. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to replace that with. They don't know how to steward the anger they feel at not fitting into American society and at being condescended to and effectively told that women are superior to men. There is no zero sum competition between the sexes. God makes the sexes complementary. God makes the sexes to live together, to work together, to enjoy the gifts of God's grace in this fallen world together, post Genesis three. But men don't feel like they fit today. Men don't feel like they have a place and men feel and are told that they are idiots and goofballs and they're inferior to women. So what I wanna do in the war on men is simply say to men, all of that is a lie. You do have real sins and failings just as I do. You need to crucify those. You may have actually blundered in your sin. You may have broken things. There may be real pain right now in your life, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids. There may be real difficulties vocationally. You may not have a purpose in life this is where lots of men are this is what the stats tell us and yet you can rise and build like nehemiah you can become something greater than you are through the grace of god god will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten god is in the business of saving sinners god loves it when prodigals return home god always keeps the porch light on for prodigals to return But even stronger than that, God is the one throughout scripture who goes into the darkness. He's not just sitting on the porch. Jesus Christ is on a rescue mission, search and rescue. And he goes out into the darkness at midnight when nobody else wants to go out, when everybody else in the party goes back home to their warm bed and Jesus tracks down one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 to find one. And so I pray that basically above all else, men hear that in this book and know that they can rise once more in God
3: why is it necessary for the husband to honor his wife and for boys to honor their mothers
1: because God has not made men alone to be honored God has made everything just right our pagan context despises creation order Satan hates the world God has made And satan is succeeding in a pretty significant fashion today in getting western culture to believe his vision of reality over god's vision of reality the devil is just a created being so he's not on equal terms with god god is the creator satan's a creature and yet satan is invested with real and terrible power and what this means is that lots of people are believing that there's no nobility in manhood as we just talked about but also There's no stability and no goodness in womanhood. And and that's really what has been fascinating to observe in feminist circles. Fourth wave feminism has witnessed the actual devouring of any stable conception of womanhood among women. So in the feminist movement itself, you've had this face down between transgender advocates and traditional feminists. And guess who has won largely? It's the transgender side. So what this means is that... The goodness of God's created order is lost, and men don't see themselves as God-made beings, and now women don't see themselves as God-made beings, and men don't know what they're made for and what they're called to do, and women don't know what they're made for and called to do. And Satan loves all of this. Satan loves chaos. Satan loves breaking down order. And what the gospel does when it saves a man or a woman is it calls men and women back to God's design to embrace God's beautiful design. You see a little picture of this very quickly. I'll say this in first Corinthians 11, ancient Corinth is a very pagan context like ours. There's androgynous temple prostitutes in Corinth who service all customers, and there's very much a kind of blurring of the lines in terms consonant with what we have been discussing in this podcast, and this show. And, and what that means is that Paul has a tremendous opportunity to say to the Corinthian church, just, just trust Jesus, and the way you look, the way you dress, it doesn't really matter. We don't want to upset the pagans. That's the opposite of what Paul says to the church. He calls them back to the goodness of God's design. He calls women to image their womanhood and their submission to their husband in terms of their hair length having longer hair he says that a woman's longer hair is her glory where a man's glory is not that a man is to look distinct from a woman so so there's a little picture todd of the goodness of the distinctiveness of the sexes and satan despises all of that distinctiveness but to put this positively we have an amazing evangelistic and doxological opportunity today To image the goodness of God's design to reject the culture's lies and embrace God's good truth
3: why do you say that repentance is a vital part of being a biblical man
1: because being a biblical man is not about exalting self it is about embracing humility a strong man is not a man who can admit no weakness Contrary to the way every last one of us husbands and fathers has acted at some point in our human existence, we actually do get directions wrong on occasion. We are sometimes given ample help from the passenger side of things, and let that be said and believed as well. And so men are those who are called to be humble by God. Men are not called to project strength and pretend that we have no weaknesses. And this is really what separates biblical gospel-powered manhood from cultural versions of manhood. There are actually a surprising chorus of voices out there who call men to be strong today, but a lot of those voices don't call men to be humble. And the deal is we are not strong when we are proud. That's when we're at our weakest point. We are actually strong, meaning strong in a God-centered way, when we are humble. And so it is very good at the practical level for us men who are praying to be strong in God to say things like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I got that wrong. Daddy messed that one up. Honey, I did get those directions incorrect. My bad. These kind of little sentences need to be very much worked throughout our life, not as a performance, not insincerely but sincerely, because God is not asking men to pretend like we have it all figured out, we never get anything wrong, and we have no need to grow or improve. It's the opposite. God is the one who has everything figured out. God is the one who has no weaknesses. God is the one who is perfectly secure. We're the ones who need God infinitely. And so one of the greatest things we can do while striving to be wise and strong and a good leader in numerous dimensions is actually help people understand we're not God.
3: Dr. Owen Strand is provost at Grace Bible Theological Seminary, senior fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council and author of several books, including his latest, The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. You'll find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk on Demand Archives. Dr. Strand, thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
3: Wednesday on Issues Etc. We'll have pastors Brian Wolfmiller and Brian Ketchelmeyer respond to your unanswered Bible questions. You can submit your questions via email. Talk back at issuesetc.org, Facebook, facebook.com slash issuesetc, Twitter at issuesetc, or the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. We are called as men to be what God made us to be. Bearing the image of God as creatures of God, we really don't have a choice. We cannot believe the lies of what the culture tells us we ought to be. We are to be what God made us to be in Jesus Christ. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc.
2: is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.